Hey, everybody, Dimity here. Just a quick heads up. This episode has a quick mention of a suicide attempt and addiction. So if that is alarming to you, please take care. Welcome to AMR Trains, a podcast about training for and racing in endurance sports. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wasner Flynn. And Dimity, I'm proud to say I am a Boston Marathon qualifier. I am so Yay! excited for you. I have this maternal sense of pride for you, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. When we had a meeting yesterday, one of our coworkers was like, I popped some popcorn. I'm ready to hear the race report. And I know that listeners <laughs> are too, Sarah. So, so Aww. fill us in. You ran the Twin Cities Marathon. What is it? Wednesday? You ran it on Sunday. So you're like three days out fresh from marathon glory. So how are you feeling today? Yeah. I'm feeling great. Yesterday, I was like, I had that delayed onset muscle soreness. I felt like I was getting sick, like everything was kind of going downhill. Today's different. So I think yesterday was my day of being like completely, you know, spent in the tank, whatever high I was riding for a while had left me. And then today I'm like, oh, it's a new day. Um, I already bought all my marathon photos. I bought all the swag and I signed up for another half marathon. So <laughs> all right, here well, I so am. I think it, it sucks you in and like, take all my money, Twin Cities. I <laughs> <laughs> we can deduce that it went well then, huh? So tell us, tell us about the day. I mean, so you were looking for a Boston qualifier, which again, remind us what that was for you with yes. the special birthday situation. Yeah, without the special birthday situation. So I'm 43. I had to get under 340 to qualify at my age now. And that's really what I was going for. In the back of my head, I knew that because of the qualifying period ended last week. That's when that big slew of Boston Marathon qualifiers came in. Twin Cities did not fall into that time frame. So okay. I actually am qualified now for 2024 and I age up. So that means I got 10 more minutes on that qualifying time. So I ran 328. And I really only had to run 350, not only, but you know, I, that, that's what I had to do to get to Boston. You have a beautiful 22 minute pillow. So I'm, I'm guessing, yes. you know, that, <laughs> I mean, Boston is a popular marathon, but I'm, I think I'm pretty sure that you're going to be able to get in. So, I, so, <laughs> so you ran a 328, which yes, I mean, we all, I'm sure people are like, wow, that is so fast. And it is so fast. We're very impressed. Um, but you also just had a great day. And I mean, I was watching your, I was watching you on the tracker and, you were running a very smart race, and that's what anybody can do, regardless of their time. I mean, your first 5K was your slowest, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really held myself back because I'm definitely somebody who will get caught up in the moment and get tricked by my feelings of feeling great and thinking I can sustain this. But I hadn't run anything over 19 miles in decades. <laughs> so my body had not experienced that unknown. It was uncharted territory completely for me after mile 19. So I kept reminding myself of that, like, you might feel great now, but what are you going to feel like at mile 20? So I yeah. had moments where I just literally put brakes on, just stopped almost and, and just said, slow down, slow down, slow down. And talk to people next to you, cheer for people, wave to people, touch signs, do whatever it takes to get you out of this race mode. Because race mode for me is like, Ugh laser focused. And I just didn't yeah. want to be there. Like it's not as enjoyable. <laughs> well, it's a long day. You know, you it's watch, a long day to be there. It's a long day. And you watch these elites in, in race mode and, you know, they're suffering and, and it's a beautiful thing. But I was like, I'm not there. That's not where my training 
brought me to. And despite the fact that I have this long competitive background, I was not in that stage right now where I am now. Right now, I'm, I was just trying to finish the marathon in a time that was sustainable. So I did that. That was my goal. I was like, just stay in the moment and yeah. smile and enjoy it. And as cliche as it sounds like, you know, enjoy every mile and stay within that mile. And I did. And I was like, wow, this is really working. Like, I, I feel great. I felt great the whole, almost the entire way until those, the hills, which now I know is called the summit. I didn't know that was the term, but there is like a gradual incline from like 20 to 23, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And along the way, someone had a sign and it had the elevation map on the sign. And it's like, you are here. Oh, geez. And I was like, that is awesome because you're helping me know that I'm almost to the top of this summit. And then it's downhill from there. And the best part was knowing that the downhill part was also running towards the another mother runner cheer station. So I was like, get up the top of this hill and then you're going to see somebody and you're going to see people, you know, and it's like, you don't want to look like you're struggling or you don't want to be crying and you don't want to be like, you know, in the hurt locker when you see people who are so excited to see you. Cause you know, I've been in that situation where I'm cheering for people and I just get so emotional and I want yeah. to cry for them and I'm so yes. happy to see them. And if they're struggling then you're like, Oh my gosh, like what's wrong? What can I do to help you? And I was like, no, I just want to give nothing but like good vibes out. Well, so you gave to... them out. You gave them out. I mean, we <laughs> so, so we saw you, we were looking for you and we were at 24 mile, a little past mile 24. And you knew that we were going to be on the left-hand side. And I saw you in your, in the outfit that you described that you were going to be wearing. Mm-hmm. And um, this guy, in front of you started walking like a tall man. And I was just like, no, dude, you are ruining our, you know, I'm like, I need pictures of her. I need to see her. She needs to see me. We have a, you know, so that was pretty cool. And later when I texted you your pictures, you were like, oh, I was really hurting. And I'm like, it's so funny how, you know, the inside doesn't match the outside because what we saw was, you know, you were very steady, very strong, you know, just looking like you were you were just, I mean, it looked like you were running, you know, you were challenging yourself, but not mm-hmm. like you couldn't keep it up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you didn't yeah. keep it up. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I mean, it's so, so it's just so funny because sometimes the inside doesn't match the outside and you have right. to know that. Well, it's all about what fake it till you make it. Cause I just yeah. knew it's like smile, lift your knees, move your arms. My hip flexors just got so tight. Like I've had this issue really since having Nellie, who's my third baby. Um, I think, you know, just pelvic, issues, all those things that go on that I really probably should just like see a physical therapist for and really get everything under control as far as like all the tightness that I have that really didn't kind of creep into like 20. So at that point I was just having really tight hip flexors, but everything else was fine. So I was like, if all it is, is tightness, you can handle this. Like yeah. you're not cramping. <laughs> you talk about men stopping. And I mentioned this to you at our meeting yesterday too. It was just like, it was really like, whew, there's a lot of men just stopping. Like not that many women just walking, pulling off to the side. Like their, their day was done. And I was like, okay, I'm not that bad. I'm nowhere near there. I can still move forward. So yeah, the, the power of the, uh, the mind is, is incredible because I had a lot of that, just like flipping the script. And I've been terrible at that in my past life. And so like now I feel like with age and just literally like working with AMR women and then you and, and, and talking to runners from all different backgrounds, like I feel like I've pulled so many tips and tricks and I'm just much more mentally strong now. The party's at the back of the pack, Sarah. That's, you know, with your, with your 328, that's where the party is. No, I'm kidding you. But yes, no, I mean, there is a lot to be said. I mean, I think that that 
that's the beauty of running is that people get, you know, you got to share a course with, I don't even know who the winner was, you know, and they're out there doing the exact same thing as the people that it took six and a half, seven hours. And, mm-hmm. and there's something to be learned from everybody. You know, that's not always the case in ball sports or things like that, you know, because you right. focus more on technique there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, so yeah, so you, you climbed up, it was Summit Avenue that you climbed up just so you okay. know. So next time, okay. if you happen to know that, it's called Summit Avenue. Lots of mansions and things like that. Beautiful oh, houses. Gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. I was looking around, just be like, look at everything but what's in front of you. Because... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you did, then you took that left hand turn to a big downhill, Ramsey Hill, and then headed towards mm-hmm. the finish line. What was that feeling like? Cause you knew roughly what your time was going to be. Like what, what did that feel like? It was incredible. I just soaked it all in and really I like listening to different podcasts and bits of advice that had been thrown my way. Just soak it in, you know, it's like, no matter what, you're going to finish a marathon. And that is an incredible feeling. And I knew I had the power to pick it up a little bit. And I was just thinking like, you're going to have a great race, you know, finish. I was like, just try to like get a great finish photo. Of course it was horrible because I think I was like, didn't know where the photographer was or whatever, but I still bought the picture, but I was thinking about that (laughs) smiling, you know, and the one little thing at the end was there was a fire truck, which had its ladder up and the finish was probably like another, I don't know, hundred meters beyond the fire truck. So I focused on that ladder and then I got there and I was like, are you kidding me? So hundred meters to go. So at that point I was just like, and I got a little like, woo, like little loopy. Cause I think I was just like, so caught up with the adrenaline. And then it was like, Oh, you still have more to go. So by finishing, I mean, I was like, nothing beats that feeling. Like I really it's haven't just... experienced that as an athlete. I don't even remember the, when I had the, my other marathon, it was like so long ago. I don't really remember that feeling. And I felt that, I guess, in the finish of a half Ironman before, like when you really push yourself to the edge and you get that medal around your neck, it's like, really, this is an unbeatable sense yeah. of accomplishment. Awesome. Awesome. Well, congratulations from your maternal co-host and from everybody else at AMR. It was really fun to see you and we'll get the recap up, I think, the day the podcast drops. So you're going to write about it as well. So more to come from there. And I just, I said this to you before, but I also want to say thank you to you, Dimity, because I had toyed with this idea of doing a marathon. I was going to do one that was not as nearly as exciting as Twin Cities. And you suggested this to me and I was like, you know, it's not local, have to travel, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, open myself up to this idea of making it happen and you helped make it happen. And the opportunity was just there and I took it and it, you know, I think it was like a moment of a lifetime. So thank you for providing that oh, for me. Thank well, you. And to everybody say, else being that. <laughs> all I did was say, do you want to run the Twin Cities Marathon? <laughs> I know, but still like, you know, I just had, it wasn't on my radar, honestly. And I know you guys have been there and talked it up and everybody says how amazing of a marathon it is. But I was just like, oh, I'm gonna have to leave the kids. It's going to be a little bit of more of an ordeal than sure. if I could just drive to a marathon. But you know, it was all worth it. Everything worked out with the kids. It was a terribly rainy weekend and my parents had to entertain them oh, the instead of, oh, you know, but they were fine with it. But yeah, you know, we had the best weather in Minneapolis. It was and, a good day. Yeah. So, but yeah, thanks again for, oh, and, and to everybody so who was there in Minneapolis and who was cheering me on. Thank you to everybody. Sweet. October may be the unofficial marathon month, but it is also the official breast cancer awareness month. Statistics show that about one in eight women will get breast cancer during her life. And this includes many women in the AMR community. 
And while a cancer diagnosis can be devastating, it can also serve for a springboard for unbelievable stories of bravery and accomplishment, which is what we've seen so many times from our Bammer breasties. So for today's episode of AMR Trains, we are bringing on two incredibly inspiring women, Lara Johnston and Bren Wilhite, who each set out to go after an epic goal after their breast cancer battles. By staying focused on their dream, they were also able to stay strong and most importantly, hopeful through a very scary and uncertain time in their lives. Hopefully the perspective and ideas they share will benefit others who are going through similar situations. First, we're bringing on Laura Johnston, a mother of two and a bammer from Ontario, Canada, who was diagnosed with breast cancer nearly four years this day in October 2018. Welcome, Laura. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Laura, we're so happy to have you here today. How about you just walk us through your breast cancer journey? What was your diagnosis and what was the course of treatment? So as Stephanie mentioned, it was almost four years ago to this day. It was October 3rd, 2018 that I got the official diagnosis. So backstory, I had felt a lump in my breast, had gone to have the initial scans, uh, ultrasounds, mammogram, and then a biopsy. So it was into October when I got the actual diagnosis that I had locally advanced invasive carcinoma of my right breast, and it was triple positive, which meant that it had markers, positive markers for estrogen, progesterone, and the HER2 protein marker. And I believe it was considered stage 2B. I say believe because the tumor itself ended up being quite large, but as far as they know, it never went into my lymph nodes. So yeah, that's uh, kind of diagnosis. So very quickly, they moved me into to treatment. As I was diagnosed on October 3rd, and my my chemo treatment started on October 22nd. Wow. So not quite three weeks later. It was a bit of a whirlwind. Mm -hmm. I can (laughs) imagine. Yeah. So I started with chemo. In total, there was eight treatments of of chemo, four rounds of uh, the drug AC. I can't pronounce what that stands for, but that's the one that makes you feel nauseous and makes your hair fall out. And then four Mm -hmm. rounds of Taxol. And that was a drug that the main side effect of that was it made my bones feel really brittle. So that was over the course of about 16 weeks because it was eight treatments, but it was every other week. And then I had surgery, so a bilateral mastectomy, and they did remove some lymph nodes in February of 2019. And then once I recovered from surgery, I had five weeks of radiation. Wow. That's a lot. It was a lot. (laughs) It's incredible. Yeah. And you told us, Laura, that you had a goal of having forward movement more days than not during treatment. Yes. So why was it so important for you to stay active during that time? Two parts to that, really. I had worked really hard over the previous seven or eight years to become more fit. You know, I was always a slender person, but I wasn't necessarily physically fit. And I had worked really hard to get myself to a, to a fitness level that I was that I was proud of. And I didn't want to lose that. I think that was was one of the things that I was most scared of was just losing all of that fitness. And then the other side of that was that one of my other goals was to keep life as normal as possible for my kids. And part of that normal life was them seeing me model an active lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So were you a runner prior to your diagnosis? Yeah, I've been running since uh, about 2011. 
Okay. I was not a runner or athletic at all <laughs> before that. But as I approached my 40th birthday, you know, as I said, uh, felt that I, I needed to get myself in shape to just keep healthy as I was getting older. And running was part of how I chose to do that. And part of that was because I am a large Disney fan. And so running a half marathon at Disney World seemed like a good goal to have to keep me focused and and going towards that in my initial getting fit routine. And that Disney, the lure of Disney, which is big for a lot of our listeners, that helped you get through your treatment, correct? You set your sights on like a, a pretty big goal. Can you share what that was? Yeah. So I decided that I was going to run the Disney marathon. I had run a couple of half marathons when I first started running, but I had never run a full marathon. So that was my goal that, uh, that I would run the 2020 full Disney marathon. Awesome. Awesome. And so because the irradiation started in April, 2019, so that race is in January of 2020, right? So that's again, a pretty quick timeline. Mm-hmm. Let's back up for one second, though. I'm just curious, what did, and I, I'm sure, you know, the, the, it varied by the day and it varied by what you were had going on in your body and what treatments you had been through, but what did running feel like in the middle of your treatments? Like, was it an escape? Was it real, harder than you expected it to be? Were there days that you couldn't run, I imagine? I yeah. Mean, can you just talk a little bit about what that felt like? Because if, if anybody is in that situation right now, I'm sure that they would love to kind of hear your experience. Sure. There, Yeah, there was definitely days that I couldn't run. As I said, while I was doing chemo, it was kind of on a two-week cycle. So I'd usually have my chemo treatment on Monday. On the Tuesday, I would give myself a day of grace to just sit <laughs> and <Sure. laughs> try and recover. And then over kind of the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I would start walking just, you know, there's a trail near our house and I would go and walk that trail. I'd often have a friend, a couple of friends would come and join me. And then by the weekend, I was ready to usually to add a little bit of running into that walk. So it wasn't, um, you know, the full run that I maybe would have done two months previous to that, but a decent like run walk that made me just, it felt like I was getting myself back, getting back control Mm -hmm. over all the stuff that was happening to my body. And then, as I said, the chemo treatments were every other week. So kind of that off week where I didn't have a treatment, I felt more like myself and was able to do a bit more regular running, maybe not the pace that I had had done previously, but at least felt like I was getting out there and and moving and more like myself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, training for a marathon is daunting, whether, you know, when you even when you're at your fittest. And so how did you wrap your head around this idea? Like, I'm going to do a marathon, even though I have all these obstacles in my way. Like, did you just break it down into small chunks? I, I did. I'm I'm very much a planner. So that was, to me, that was part of the, the challenge, but in a good way <laughs> was to, okay, how do we break this down? How do I do it so that I don't injure myself so that it is something that I can actually accomplish? And so when I really started thinking about the marathon and getting ready for that, it, it was really back in about a month after surgery. So kind of March, April timeframes when I was starting radiation, but luckily I didn't have a lot of side effects from the radiation. It didn't slow me down too much. So I really just, because I'd taken about a month off of doing any running after my surgery, I started from scratch as if I considered it, you know, kind of like if you'd had an injury, start from the beginning again. And I had always done like a run walk interval. Hmm. So I just started with really, really small run intervals. I think I started with 30 seconds of running, two minutes of walking. 
And that's what I did for the first couple of weeks. And then every couple of weeks, I would adjust that uh, run-walk ratio, just slowly building up the run side and decreasing the, the walk side so that by the time I was done radiation and got to summertime, I had worked up to, I think eventually I worked up to four and a half minutes of running, 30 seconds of walking. And then that's what I continued with throughout the training and, and what I did during the race as well. Nice, mm. nice. Well, I know the Disney Marathon's a popular one. So I'm just curious, what would have happened if you didn't get in? Like, what were you, did you have a backup plan? I didn't necessarily have a backup plan, but I did also register as soon as it opened. I was ready for it. Yeah, you're a planner. You're a planner. Well, and did, did you go by your, like, were you doing it with a friend? Were you doing it by yourself? And if, like, what whatever reason you picked, like, I'm just curious, was there, like, oh, I want to be out there by myself with my thoughts or I want to do it with my relative or I'm, I'm just curious, like, because that's a, it's a momentous day. I ran it by myself. I done. I did all my training by myself, but I usually do run alone. I occasionally uh, run a race with one of my cousins, but other than that, I generally run alone anyway. Okay. So that wasn't really different for me. Yeah, and so my plan. I usually, when I'm doing regular training runs, I'm listening to podcasts. But then my kind of race day treat is that I'm listening to music. So I had a, a very Disney uh, based um, playlist <laughs> Love it. That, yeah. that, took, that took me through, you know, so I would think about those movies or whatever, like whatever uh, music was playing, you know, I knew what the course was going to be. So I had um, some key spots on the course that I, I wanted to make sure I had a picture in front of the castle. I wanted to make sure I got some of the character pictures. And then I did have my parents, my sister-in-law and one of my good friends came with me and they were there at the finish line to cheer me on. Very nice. Oh, that's so Very lovely. Nice. Yeah. So let's travel to Disney in 2020, January 2020. Oh, wait, Sarah, hold on for one second. Yes. We ask one right. more question before. No, I know. I love it. I want to hear about it too, for I sure. I know. I'm so hooked. Up. Okay. But I'm just curious about the training. Like physically, were there certain things, you know, having had a mastectomy or, you know, having a little bit of a different body, right, um, than you started with? Were there certain things that you noticed during the training, either mentally or but physically for sure, and mentally maybe too? Um. Physically, for sure, you know, and part of it, I, I was never large chested. So not having had the mastectomy wasn't a huge change for me. And it was nice not to have to wear a sports bra. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that was actually, you know, in the hot mm -hmm. summer yeah. months, that was actually a nice thing. And, you know, it's just building back up my endurance and, you know, after major trauma had happened to my body. Uh, I think on the strength training side of things, which I tried to be consistent with as well. I was following that I was a member of, of, and still am a member of many happy miles. So I was following the mm -hmm. workouts that are provided through there and, and just modified anything that was upper body. Like it, it was, I'm not sure how, but much longer before, you know, I could do squats and lunges, but I couldn't do pushups. So, you know, modify mm -hmm. those and do them, you know, and then start against the wall, not, oh, you know, on the knees or on the floor or whatever. So yeah, definitely some modifications when it came to strength training. And really, I think the biggest thing was just being slow and deliberate about building up my endurance over time. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. It's so great that you're able to stay so motivated. You know, that must have been hard in itself just to get up and go and know that you could do these workouts and figure out a plan for you. It takes a lot of determination on your part. But speaking of determination, getting to the start line of a marathon is incredible. So you're in Disney World in January of 2020. As you're jogging towards the start line, approaching it, what was going through your head at that time? 
I imagine it must have been very emotional. It was there. I mean, there was nerves about, you know, can I actually finish? Because it was my first marathon, most training plans. And the, the one that I use, you know, your longest run is 20 miles and this is 26.2 miles. And, you know, that extra 10K is is a mm-hmm. lot. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely nerves around that. It was extremely hot in January and that January in Florida. So I was ner- I was nervous about the heat as well. But then also, you know, definitely sometime uh, both at the start line and throughout the race of reflecting of, you know, my body has been through a lot, some of it inflicted on me, some of it, you know, this is my choice of, of putting my body through this to be able to accomplish this goal. And just the fact of getting to the start line was part of the accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And I very much bought into the, the thought that the, the race itself is the reward. You know, you've, you've done all the work, enjoy the moment that you're in. And that was definitely something that I reminded myself of because it, it did get hard sure. <laughs> for sure mm-hmm. at times. Marathons but, tend yeah. to do, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but just, you know, you're here and, and enjoy this moment and take in everything that's around you. There's such fantastic crowd support at a Disney race. Um, you know, there's a few stretches where there weren't very many people and those were probably the hardest ones. But yeah, wherever there were people, it was, yeah, look at all the signs, look at all the people, listen to the cheers of them in the crowd. And yeah. That's great. Well, so you you said you wanted the castle picture. Um, what character pictures were you aiming to get? I don't know that I had any specific ones in mind. I okay. just knew that with Disney races, the more popular characters tend to have a really long line. So I wasn't necessarily going to stop at ones with, with a long line. I, yes. I did want to keep moving. So it was more of a reminder to myself of, okay, if you do see a short line, jump in that line yes, and, yes. and get the character <laughs> picture. Don't just, you know, keep on going by again, being in the moment and, and taking the opportunities when I saw them. So, yeah, you know, I've only run one Disney or uh, two, actually two the half marathon. And yeah, I got the army, the army soldiers yeah, right. from Toy Story, yes. you mm-hmm. know, instead of, you know, the, the more popular characters. I mean, the princesses get the longest lines, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I was like, I even did one with a donkey. I don't know why the donkey was there, but I was like, dude, <laughs> if you're, if you're it might have been from Shrek. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I like that mentality, Laura. Like, I'm like, I don't want to stop moving for too long. And a character is a character, right? Yeah. And sometimes, you know, the the bit players, you know, mean as much as the big, there, there's no such thing as a small role, as we know, in musical right. theater. That's yes. what we say a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very true. And and Laura, we'll put it, I think we'll use it as the graphic for the podcast, but your castle picture is amazing. So you nailed that one for sure. Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, I do, I had another one because they do have like an actual photo op, or at least they did the race I ran, have a photo op, like in front of the castles, you're stopped and, you know, I have my hands over my head. It looks like you're the only one in front of the castle. You're not, obviously, because there's thousands of people coming through. So, but uh, yeah, I I had actually asked my daughter which of the two I should submit to you guys. And she said, no, do the one where you're actually moving. I love the smile on your face with that one. So there you go. Yeah, you look awesome. That, did you wear a costume? I have not seen these pictures yet. So I'm just curious. What was your outfit? So it wasn't necessarily a costume, but I was trying to be themed like Merida, the main character princess from the movie Brave. So she is oh, uh, Scottish nice. background. I have Scottish background. Um, she has the red curly hair. I don't, I, you know, I, I, my hair had started to grow back by that point, but I, it was very short. <laughs> um, sure. but I, I just, so I wore a top that had like the Celtic knots on it. And then, you know, just a little gold crown on top of my hat. That's perfect. Brave. Exactly what you are. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I'm sure it's hard to encapsulate, but what was it like to cross the finish line of the Disney Marathon, knowing you conquered this epic goal and how far you had come to get there? It was overwhelming, really. Like, even when I think back to it, I just, oh, I, I was just actually reviewing this morning, getting ready to talk about this, went back to the Facebook post that I did at the time. And it took me two days to post about it because I just, I couldn't, find the words. And even when I finally did, I, I think that was what my post said is I still don't have the words to describe all of the emotions, you know, leading up to it, the hard work that went into the training, just the fact that I had the worst thrown at me of what my body could handle. And I overcame that and, you know, ran a marathon to prove that I still had control over my body and determine my own outcome type of thing. Yeah, that's a lot to try to, I mean, that's a, that's a novel right there. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to put that into words. I, I give you, uh, I hear you. I give you a lot of respect as somebody Sarah does too, as, as people who write for a living. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know, to try to make mm-hmm. it come to life, especially when it's so, there's so much inside of you that, um, you know, it's not just mm-hmm. 26.2 miles. It is so much more than that. So. That's great. The best news, Laura, is that you've been cancer-free for three and a half years, no recurrence of cancer since your treatments and surgery. So yay for that. And we continue. That was an un-Disney yay for me. I'm sorry. I didn't put my oomph behind that. Um, a, a cancer diagnosis can, can be so scary, as we all know, but it's stories like yours that we all need to hear. So what words of advice do you have for women who may be going through their own breast cancer journey or um, have a friend or a loved one doing the same? I think reach out and like let your community, let your community help you. Um, I think that's one of the things that I haven't necessarily touched on today is as we both myself and my family, we had such support from all of our family and friends uh, it, that was it was unbelievable. Um, but you have to let those people in to yeah to be able to provide that to you you know I, I could have chosen to keep quiet or not made a big deal or you know that not that I made a big deal about having cancer but kept it you know to a limited number of people or just not put it out there but we put it out there and we said we're like we're happy for any help and if someone offers to help we'll say yes which is not something that comes easy for me I tend to say no I'll do it myself I'll be fine it's fine but but so learning how to mm-hmm. say yes and accepting help, it, it's hard, but it comes back to you tenfold, not only in the moment of whatever that help may be, whether it was dinner or just a text or a phone call, but it just helps your whole outlook. And then the other thing I'd say is try and find something that you can be in control of, and which was a little bit what the, you know, my whole active movement goals was about that to a large extent, I could control that and I could adapt it to what made sense for that day. But I still had control over being able to have that goal and and cancer wasn't going to take that away from me. That's great. It's amazing. I love that perspective. And you're just, you know, you're amazing, Laura. So we want to know what's next. Are you going to do another marathon? Have you done another marathon? What are your goals right now? I have not done another marathon. I, I had actually thought about it, but then COVID. I derailed things. So mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> <get that. laughs> I do have a, a half marathon coming up in a couple of weeks that I'm running in Niagara Falls with my cousin. So I'm looking forward to that. Not saying no to ever doing another marathon. I, I think it may happen some way. And I have mentioned as well that doing the, the Disney dopey is something that's maybe on a bucket list for me, but that will be a few years out. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. 
Yeah. Well, congratulations on it all. And thank you for joining us, Laura. Your insight is helpful to everybody, but I imagine especially people who have been touched by breast cancer. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great to chat with you. Our next guest is Bren Wilhite, who is a mom of three kids and lives in the suburb of Kansas City. Bren also runs a daycare and she's joining us during nap time. So we hope we don't wake up any of your little ones, Bren. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, don't get too rowdy. No, I'm actually outside on my back deck and I have one of my best friends inside monitoring everybody sleeping. So we're all good. Oh, well, that's lovely. How many kids do you have in your daycare? Six. They're the most wonderful families as a whole because you don't just work with the kids, you work so much with the parents. So it's it's a tight-knit group. That's awesome. Well, and how old are your kids, Bren? We are um, looking at a 17-year-old daughter and then a 13-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son currently. So Bren, we're not going to bury the lead here. You're joining us today about two weeks removed from experiencing what you called a quote-unquote whopping surprise after racing Ironman Chattanooga. So what happened in Chattanooga? What, what went down in Tennessee? I'm grinning ear to ear at (laughs) just the thought of it because it knocked my socks off. It was so cool. I qualified for Kona world champs, which was a complete surprise. Wow. Congratulations. That is huge. So did you know, like you didn't have any, tell us a kind of a little bit about the day. Well, Ironman is a huge undertaking, so I'll try and be as succinct as yes, possible, exactly. but it, it was a lot of little things that added up to a great day. I think that overall, I wanted to just race my race and do what I could do. Kona was just like this ridiculously huge blessing on top of the fact that I didn't want to get caught up in stressing out over the finishing in a certain time. And I just felt God smiling on that mindset of just enjoying and being grateful for every step of the journey. And I think that that helped me stay probably more calm and be able to tactically maneuver my way through from start to finish instead of get bogged down. So sure. I think that my mindset of stepping through it with gratitude helped me finish in the best way possible. Um, yeah. I wasn't thinking I was going to Kona qualify. I thought I would just <laughs> remind myself what an Ironman was, like get back to the sport because I've taken mm-hmm. a very long break. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that break, but I just have to give you a quick stat here because I also write for Triathlete Magazine and last week I did a by the numbers for Kona. You are just one of 0.000406% of the world's population who has qualified for Ironman World Championships. So. Give yourself a big pat on the back for that. Wow. You're rare air, breathing rare air here. Um, but what makes your story even more astonishing, Bren, is that you're also a breast cancer survivor and you've been through so much to get to this point. So let's just go back to the beginning a little. When were you diagnosed and what was your course of treatment? So prior to cancer, I had done two Ironmans, but I was three weeks away from my third Ironman, Ironman Boulder. And so three weeks before Boulder Ironman, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. I mean, it just seemed like a mistake because I was feeling incredibly fit and an incredibly strong, like state of being. I was eating super healthy. I was just so focused on the race. Like 
wait, I don't have time for cancer. Wait, wait and, and tell us how you were diagnosed. I'm curious. Did you find a lump or how did you like, or was it just a random coincidence that your doctor found a lump? How, how did that go down? Well, I was only 36 and I had no family history. So I was completely unsuspecting, but I did have some fibrocystic breast tissue that I've had some lumps checked in the past. So I knew where those were. I've had some biopsies on some of them. I'm just drying off one day after a swim workout. And I remember like my towel going over my breast and feeling the lump through the towel and going, Mm. wait, oh, that's not one that I knew was there. And so that was something I just thought I would go to the doctor and get another one of the benign cysts, just okay, place another marker there, just log it and just go about my way. But it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't. So you had three weeks, it was three weeks prior to your third Ironman. Did you pull the brakes on that or what did you do? Well, I was scheduled to go visit my sister in California just like the next day after I found that lump. She was about to go this is crazy, but she was about to go climb Mount Everest. And so I was visiting her to send her off and I wasn't going to see her for three weeks, but she was planning on coming back. Just the timing was going to be perfect. She was going to scale Mount Everest. No big deal, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then come back and be at my Ironman in um, Boulder. So I went to visit her and I was showing, telling her about this lump and thinking, oh, okay, it's just another one and kind of explaining it to her. And as I did that, I found another one in my armpit. Oh, and wow. so that was concerning. And I scheduled a doctor appointment to get it checked out for like two days after I returned home. So she went up to Everest, not knowing that anything was going to be concerning. And she just had this amazing experience. But then when she came back, I had to tell her the bad news. My sister and I are really close. Mm-hmm. So her reality came crashing down. I mean, <laughs> kind of like yeah. right, right alongside me that yeah. I was stage three, her two positive lymph node involvement. And by the time she was back, I was already, I had already had a lot of tests done and was lined up to start chemo basically right after finishing Boulder Ironman. They said I could do Ironman and that was a huge relief. So Mm -hmm. I did the race, came home, had a chemo port placed just like two days after the race, and then started my first chemo infusion just a few days after that. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Can I just ask, what was it like racing knowing that you had breast cancer? Did you let that kind of enter your conscience or did you just try to like stay positive and know that you had the fitness? Well, it was a good thing I had already done several Ironmans because those weeks were filled with nothing but thinking about cancer. And so Mm -hmm. training fell to the wayside and I had so many doctor appointments and scans and tests to figure out exactly what my new life was going to be like. And I was able to still step up to the starting line and decided I would just kind of remind myself through doing that Ironman that I can do hard things. And Mm -hmm. The whole day was emotional. I know I cried many times while on the course. It was hard, but in some ways I I just wanted to prove it to myself 
that I could do it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, okay, wait. First of all, I'm really sorry that your family's not overachieving at all. <laughs> you and your sister. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I like Iron Man Everest. I, so I just want to know uh, that was a joke. Of course, I'm very impressed. Um, but but uh, did she make it to the top of Everest? She did um, not only base camp, but advanced base camp. Nice. Um, if she was going wow. to do the summit, it would have taken, I think it takes something like, Three months. Yeah, I was about to say three weeks yes. to go there and back is is pretty uh, yes. ambitious. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, so that's what a whole it, other story. She's amazing. I, I think that you could probably stand right under that amazing umbrella, Brent. <laughs> well, okay. Have you guys always been athletes? I mean, you you both. I mean, and this isn't about your sister, but I'm just curious. Did you grow up playing team sports, or what did you do to kind of get into the triathlon path? No, my family wasn't very well off, and we had kind of a tumultuous childhood. I didn't really discover athletics until later in life. And I was running to try and combat postpartum depression after having my first child and losing baby weight and met one of my best friends, the one that's actually inside helping me with kids right now, Emily. And Mm -hmm. she kind of explained to me how you do a sprint triathlon, what it even is, And for her 40th, she was looking to do a 70.3 and we were running buddies and that was really all I did. And running was great, but this was like, okay, well, I'll train for that with you. That funny sounding race, whatever (laughs) 70.3 means, (laughs) which is half Ironman, if you don't know. And now I do them all the time and I love them. So really just as an adult, I discovered it. And thanks to my friend, Emily, who kind of shepherded me through the process and explained how you switch from one sport to the next, which is just insane until it becomes second nature. Now they're a blast. Now I love doing them. Mm-hmm. So going back a little bit, you told us before that you did four sprint triathlons through chemotherapy. First of all, how? And second, did sticking <laughs> to your fitness and training regimen as much as possible, help you get through the process of the treatment? So I, I was obviously bald. You can't really get away from that. Well, at the first one, I hadn't lost all my hair, but it was falling out. And I remember talking to a friend and they were asking me about the hair and I grabbed handfuls of it. Like I just ripped it out. I was like, here, do you want some? It's like, good luck. (laughs) So I had already started chemo. I had my first uh, infusion Um, my fusions were three weeks apart. So I would be sick for the first two weeks between the the three weeks, the third week, I would feel good. Like when you get over the flu and you're like, wow, life is good again. And so the timing was magical that Mm -hmm. a lot of these local tries that their schedules are set well in advance. They happen to line up perfectly with my infusion site, uh, schedule where they landed in that weekend right before I was going to have my next infusion when I was feeling good. So after the first infusion, I, it was funny to me. I placed first in my age group. Wow. Wow. Then after my second infusion, I placed second in my age group (laughs) and the third infusion, I placed third and the fourth infusion, I placed fourth in my age group. (laughs) Wow. Then the local tri season was over and I... (laughs) Just laugh that's it's like you, the way you that planned it, up. right? I'm sure you wanted to get third yeah. in that last one though, because then you're <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but I was just so grateful. Um, there, were, I had fun with the fact that I had a bald head. I stuck temporary tattoos all over my head. One of my friends did henna art all over my head for one. Oh, that's them. fun. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed getting to escape from just the entire realm of cancer that was all consuming. Enjoy the fact that there's more to life than mm-hmm. cancer. Sure, um, and not get bogged down. So th- those races were so mm-hmm. much fun. I'm just curious, so like how it felt. I mean, you said it was kind of like the flu, and I imagine yes, you had that week of feeling good, but you also knew that it was coming for you again. The infusions were coming for you again. So it's kind of like you're neither here nor there. You're not fit and well, but you're also not as sick as you could have been. Like, can you talk a little bit about? just that in-between state and how you coped with it mentally? (laughs) Well, I'm grateful to be able to call myself a survivor of many things. Um, Not only a cancer survivor, but I will get truly personal here and tell you the girls that I am a suicide survivor and I've also battled addiction in my past. So there's a whole lot that I've learned through that process. And it's just, it was so key to have made choices to get out of that thinking long ago prior to cancer. So I just tried to apply that to the keep showing up, keep on doing what you know is going to, maybe you're overwhelmed by the whole thing, but you just do what little thing you can do today to be kind to yourself, make a positive step just minute by minute and Give yourself, I don't know, the the best the best day you can give yourself mm-hmm. today. Sure, <laughs> sure. Not look at the big picture because it's overwhelming sometimes, and don't think too much about the what ifs and the unknown. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, when you're diagnosed with cancer, it's like the worst possible scenario, mm-hmm. right? Like what? Like you do not want <laughs> you do not want to ever hear those words, but then you realize that you have so little control. Right. in life. <laughs> and you have to reassess everything. And then you're given almost a gift of deciding who you want to be with the day that you're given today. And if you start asking yourself so many deep questions, what if I lived today, every single second of it, as if it, it was a miracle mm-hmm. every single day? I mean, I, I did those races or I was looking at the days when I felt good in between my cancer treatments as maybe this is all I got. Mm-hmm. So rise to the occasion and... Well, you're obviously a very strong person. It's very um, inspiring, but you didn't do just do sprint triathlons. You've moved on to Ironman, as we talked about. So at what point during your cancer journey did you set that goal of doing an Ironman? So when Emily said she wanted to do a 70.3 for her 40th birthday, we did it together. I thought okay, if she can do it because she's turning 40 and she was a few years older than me, certainly I can do it too. So when we finished that 70.3, it was so empowering and so amazing that I decided I'm going to go ahead and do a full. This is awesome. So it was a dream that took form right then and there of if you go half of it, do the Mm -hmm. full thing, (laughs) go Mm -hmm. big or go home. So my first Ironman was Ironman Louisville and it was just amazing. And then I did Ironman Boulder. My third one was when I had cancer. I was diagnosed. It was also Ironman Boulder. And then a week and a half ago was my fourth. That was Ironman Chattanooga. 
Bren, tell us a little bit about the pink parties your friends threw for you before your infusions. I just, I, the idea, I don't know what they are, but I love the idea of pink parties. So what were they? My friends did a lot. They rose to the occasion to help me through cancer. So one of the many things that they did was they threw a party for me the night before I would have each one of my infusions. It began with just a few close friends wanting to put a pink strip of dye in their hair. And then other people would ask them why they had pink in their hair. And they would tell them that they're pulling for me. They're, you know, pray for Bryn. And it was just this like new community of pink haired women. <laughs> it just, it was infectious. It was awesome. So it grew each infusion. The parties got bigger and bigger. It would just be in one of my friend's homes and we would eat and we would socialize. We would, um, it's just this really energizing time to spend with my friends and remind myself that I'm important to them. It was a blast. My friends also pooled their money to order daily harvest smoothies and soups to be delivered to oh, me. Oh, nice. Oh, that's um, so sweet. That was yeah. amazing. I had a meal train, which I did not want a meal train. I thought, how come, how come you didn't want a meal train? Don't be too shocked here. I'm a, I can do it kind mm -hmm. of person. <laughs> yeah. Uh <-huh. laughs> this is surprising. This is surprising actually. <laughs> I had to eat humble pie and be like, <laughs> wait, are you kidding me? I won't be able to do this with no problem. Like I'm just, it's cancer. I'll get over it. It turned out it was really hard <laughs> and the meal train was amazing. Mm -hmm. That was really hard to accept at first, but then I saw how much joy, like you could just see it in their faces. They were so happy mm -hmm. to bring a meal. We all, we all kind of feel paralyzed when something like that happens and it's just a simple meal, but it makes you feel like, okay, at least, you know, we, can, we can't go through the treatments with you, but at least we can be there and know that you know, were supporting you. And I, I, when I had my baby, it's not compare, <laughs> comparison to a cancer diagnosis, but my fourth baby was my first time I've had a meal train and I was the same way. I was like, I don't need meals. I can do this. I have four kids. And then the yeah. first meal came, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. It's delivered to your door and you get to see a friend and they smile through, you know, at the time it was like kind of COVID. So we just smiled through the window and uh, moved on. But it is a, just a nice way of supporting <laughs> a friend. And you could totally, we could have a separate episode dimity on just how to support a friend through cancer because there's so much mm -hmm. unknown so, and you know when sure. you've gone through it like you have bren you know it's like you know what's good what what, what works but yeah well let's yeah. go back to triathlon a little bit one of my favorite topics yeah so we're curious about your like and I think you, you touched on this a little bit but did your perspective change like this time around at Ironman Chattanooga with everything that you had gone through and everything you conquered and you're on the other side you're cancer free now do you feel like a lighter athlete, you know, a different athlete or is, is your perspective changed at all? Definitely. I kind of chuckle when I look back at what I told myself before and granted I was getting ready for Ironman Boulder. So I was like hyper-focused, like we all get right before a race and I was on a run. Do you ever have these great ideas when you're, you're on a run? You're like, yes, <laughs> I will do that. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> And it became clear to me that cancer would not change me. Like, I just, it won't change me. <laughs> Darn it. I liked my routine. I liked that I learned how to battle, like, the emotional ups and downs of just being a mom, which is such a thankless role. 
I love being a mom, but it is. I mean, my kids were still pretty young. It takes a lot of work. The stress of marriage, just life work. What I've figured out is so key for my mental health. I'm going to keep running through this whole thing. And I promised myself it would not change me because change is really scary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it, it changed me so much. And of course, for the better. And I look at my training as I look at it differently now. So you ask like if it's any different. I guess I'm more gentle and kind to myself and know that we can get ridiculous with how we stress over our training and like to let that go, just be more gracious to myself. Um, it's okay if I miss something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. Sure. And I trained with a group called Purple Patch Fitness. Mm-hmm. That's led by Matt Dixon. And he has a mentality that he wants to train his athletes to show up fit and fresh for race day. So stop like hounding yourself and being hard on yourself to train just like endless, meaningless miles, but instead also be fresh enough to face race day. So I really liked the way he designed a program to help me train for this Ironman. And I think it was part of what was key for me to be able to pull through and do such a great job on race day. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That worked well for how I wanted to fit training into my life. You know, my marriage and my kids, my family comes first and training should enhance mm-hmm. that. Yep. It should. It should. Yep. Awesome. Well, we are very excited to say that you're one step closer to achieving the ultimate goal for many triathletes. So you'll be probably be watching Kona this weekend. It's this Today, weekend. It's actually your sh- right yourself. now. It's happening. Yes. Oh, it's today? I thought it was on The women Saturday. are racing. Well, girls yeah. are racing. Yeah. So I'm watching a couple of my friends that are out there on course right now because Thursday is Mm -hmm. the women's race. (gasps) When did they split it up? Just this year. Mm -hmm. Oh, this year. Yeah. Oh, okay. So is it just the pros racing today or no, is, it, is it the whole women's the age field? groupers? And I don't know how they divided it, but there's men and women racing today. And then, but they made okay. it so that no man, like there's not any fast men because they said a woman should cross, a pro woman should cross the finish line first. So it's not like the 18 year old guy is going to beat like, you know, Danielle Arif. Um, <laughs> so yeah, sure. so I think like they divided, divided it up that way, but there's some uh, fast women running racing now, like 35, uh, 30 to 35 age group, I think is today. Yeah. So, so how many days of races are there? two this t- Thursday, yeah, today and Saturday? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, so, um, is there anything else, uh, Brent that's, that you've been eyeing? I mean, obviously Kona is, um, a very, you know, we don't, we're not wishing that away by any stretch, but I'm just curious, like if there's other things, you know, are you headed to Everest at some point or Kilimanjaro <laughs> or something like that? Uh, my sister's more the mountaineer. I didn't get to do Boston. I time qualified for Boston before cancer, but I was just so inundated and consumed with cancer. Okay. It, so I have to re-qualify again, <laughs> sadly. Oh, you can do it. But I want to do Boston at some point. So that's on my bucket list. There's a lot. Like, like I just feel so great to look f- ahead at a lot of challenges. Boston's one of the, uh, one of many that sure. I'm looking forward to, to conquering. Yeah. Well, you are definitely um, an inspiration. Lots of lots of energy coming through the microphone here. And um, I love it. I love it. Good. Congratulations. And like way to keep giving back and kind of thinking about how to change your mm-hmm. perspective, because that's something that people, anybody can embrace no matter where they are in their lives or their health yeah, journeys. I agree. Thank you so much, Brian, for sharing your story. And yeah, just inspiring women around the world. You're, you're quite a... Uh, 
accomplished person, but very relatable too. So thank you for being honest and sharing everything with us today. You too. I love listening to your podcast. You girls are very inspiring. You inspire many, many people. So um, keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. 